This is Jake Schneider. <laughs> uh, there's more. Um, there's, he's at Madison House. There's uh, Presents Division that promotes live shows, but he focuses on the agency, which is also a management company and a label, where he's the director of building the agency, bringing in new agents, and developing new acts. Among the acts that he works with on a day-to-day basis, Lotus, Keys and Crates, Beat, uh, Beat Antiques, and Bass Nectar. So he's got some pretty hip fucking acts. Um, they've got offices in Denver, Nashville, Ann Arbor, and Toronto. And I love that it was like Denver and Toronto. They're like, you know what? We need Ann Arbor. That's going to lock it up for it's us. It's crucial. <laughs> that's, that's the block. That's the, mo- that's the block. That's where we have ICM, CA, William Morris, Beat. We own Ann Arbor, man. <laughs> um, he, in the ballpark, he books about 1,000 shows a year, give or take. And uh, he's developing acts and building the agency. He's really focused on breaking new acts and using all the technology that's available to help do that. Give it up for him. Come on. What the fuck? Break it up. I thought the the claps would come quicker. but um, uh, So, yeah, this is Dan Steinberg right here. Um, And in the flesh, uh, Dan is a partner in in Emporium Presents. Um, At one point... um, it was Square Peg Concerts, and he uh, joined up with uh, Jason Zink, uh, a buddy of his, and now they are Emporium. Uh, he promotes shows all over North America. Uh, there, you know, some, some tours that they've done recently. You know, there's a lot of national tours, but, um, you know, Dolly Parton, Straight No Chaser, uh, the Trailer Park Boys, and Tesky Trucks Band. Mm-hmm. You gotta start in Denver, actually. Um, and I'm from, I'm a Boulder dude. Um, that's where my office is at. So he got started in Denver and then went out to Oregon and then just decided that, like, you know, he was gonna take over the Pacific Northwest and kept on, uh, kept on uh, charging through and, and, you know, took over the whole world. Um, he does about 650 shows a year. Also, just to note, too, he's the king of swag. It, like, as far as, I'm not saying, like, swagger, like, swag, <laughs> like, like, crazy shit in the mail, swag. Um, I, I actually don't know how he affords it, but I know that I get, like, a random, like, luchador costume with his company name on it, uh, a dreidel with his company name on it, and all kinds of other bizarre gifts throughout the year. And I used 75% of them, so um, I appreciate him for that, and... Uh, um, that's, uh, that's something that's pretty cool about him. Then the last thing is that he, uh, the first one, he's the host of an iTunes podcast called Promoter 101. Please subscribe. Please. And the first interview, the first, uh, episode, <laughs> number one of 101, uh, is, uh, features Tom Ross. Legendary agent. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're excited um, about that. Are we, are we supposed to give it up for him? Yeah. Give it, yeah, up. Yeah, okay. give it up for me. And for all of you. And all of your panelists. Keep it going. we got a great night here at the Howl. I love it. So a, a couple things. I, I Just an overview again for those of you who are new to this insane panel. We're going to be talking about pre-event technology, event technology, post-event technology. And we come from four different views, which is, I think, really interesting. So promoter corporate relations side, um, the relationships themselves, and an agent. And, so, yeah, and just a social media user, too, you know? And, and a social media user, which we, you know? we yeah. all... Like as you said about that, like that, like you're an agent, like discriminatory, like, yeah. and the agent And the fucking agent. Oh, my God. They're and going rogue. Agent. They're going wrong. 
Let's take the temperature of this audience. How many of you are running live events or want to run live events? I mean, that's good reason to come here, right? Um, how many of you have run a live event that's more than one, two, three years old? Okay, cool. So I think what we should talk about is the fact that we've come so far from the 2000s to now in terms of all of the tools that we have in technology. And I think it gets confusing as to which ones work, which ones don't work. Um, and so what I've asked these guys to talk about a little bit is what's working for them in the technology space in terms of what tools in the run-up to the show are you finding the most effective in getting an audience, getting sponsorship, promoting your events? Um, yeah, listen, I think we're all gonna kind of have some um, uh, different takes on it, especially because of like the genres of music we may exactly. be promoting to. You know, the what platforms. Um, you know, our kids and uh, I call them kids because I work with a lot of electronic music or jam bands, um, uh, and we work with you know hip hop acts and stuff like that. So. Um, you know, a lot of it's social media, promoting stuff um, prior to um, the show, um, taking out, you know, as, a, as an agent, you know, there's a lot of times where I'll go to a promoter um, and ask for uh, a buyout for the artist because that artist manager is really good with allocating um, uh, money towards social media Does posts. everybody know what a buyout means? A buyout is basically, it's like, hey, here's your deal. You got your deal, your guarantee is how much it costs to rent the room. A buyout would be something like um, a line item in the show that says, hey, we need $500 because we know how to promote the hell out of this on top of your $2,000 advertising budget that you already have. Um, and that could be Google AdWords. It could be your own Facebook posts. Um, it could be um, Snapchat filters. I don't know if anyone um, is familiar with Snapchat, but like, you know, you can basically it's it's geotagged, and you can create um, a filter that when you swipe left, you know, you, you take the picture, all of a sudden, you know, Bass Nectar might pop up at, uh, at it, or the festival name might pop up, whatever your event's name will pop up or whatever. Um, there's metrics to how much those things cost, so sometimes they're efficient and sometimes they aren't. Um, but those are kind of some of the things that I think my bands um, use on their end. Now, a lot of that stuff is also just done on the promoter's end as well, but there are some people that just know it really well, and I mean, I think the rules for like the Facebooks of the world um, and Twitter, I mean, they, they change every day. It's, um, it's, it's pretty crazy, um, you know, what you can and can't do, how many people you can invite at a time, you know, um, how much, you know, what, what the, what, what's gonna show up in the feed. There's this thing called dark posts right now that, you know, people are into. Um, and uh, it's just, it's a, it's a never, never ending, like kind of um, evolution of social media, marketing via technology and that kind of stuff. Well, and also on that, when you're the event producer, you're looking at why would I agree to give him part of my marketing budget as a buyout? Totally. And the upside for the promoter is, he can hit on Facebook his fans directly as the artist, mm -hmm. and I can only hit a certain number of those. So by giving him the same budget that I was going to spend, he's hitting them directly as the act, and that actually, in, with the Facebook rules he was talking about, is a 
whole lot better value. He's going to hit more of those people directly than I can with the same dollars. So we're partners here and not giving him my entire ad budget. I'm just giving him a percentage of the ad budget. And nationally, he can either – it used and they used to do this back in the earlier days, even with Guns N' Roses, where they'd break a national ad and spin that had every date on it, and every promoter had to contribute a part. But nobody could afford that national ad for one date. But when you're splitting amongst 47 shows, you, you get Barry Fay and Bill Graham and the Belkins to contribute yeah. to that ad. Now it's moved online, but it's the same contributing – to one greater source, but now they're geo-targeting for that one ad. So that's the benefit for the promoter is you're sharing a much greater, more expensive thing that we could never be a part of with our $500 or $1,500 budget for our show. But when you add it upon the entire tour, they can do something magnificent that's going to stand out, and suddenly our date's listed in these great places, which is why I'm not pushing back for him stealing another 500 bucks from me. Which Or you know the manager sucks and is probably not going to do anything with it. Yeah, and, you figure that out you know, over time. That we happens every once fights. in a while. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just got to know. So let me ask you two, and then I want to move on to what you're doing on social pre-event. How do you know which tools work best? So I'm an event producer. I want to spend some money on social, you know, depending on the act, depending on the type of music. What works with what genre? It's a trial and error thing, but I think we both work <coughs> the same genres constantly and work with the same artist over and over again. So for us, that first show is a little bit of a trial thing, and then you start to tune it up a little bit and figure it out. But you also trust the manager and the agents that you're working with to see what's working around the country. What was the best show on the tour? What did they do? Why isn't this show working? Because that's when we really come and start talking. Why isn't Philly selling? The rest of the tour is doing great. Why isn't Philly? Okay, let's see what you're doing in Philly, and let's get the manager and the agent and the publicity people on the phone and our marketing team, and let's start comparing with what's working everywhere else and maybe what, what step did we skip. Oh, we didn't buy keywords at Google or on Twitter, and everybody else did. Let's, let's get that in there. But we have these conversations where, like, what did we miss? It's like strip ads are still alive somehow in Philadelphia, apparently. Right, the West 100%. Denver has all of the shows. Like, print yep. matters in Denver. Right. And, like, and you're measuring your analytics how? Ticket sales. Yeah, ticket sales, for sure. How many tickets you sell? Um, but I also think there's, you know, there's something to be said for, like, I, I think one of the, the most used, all-encompassing, age-wise, is probably Facebook. Um, as far as social media goes, and I think that um, you know you're going to target a lot of people uh, with that, and I think that you can you know there's so many back end you know devices now with Facebook where you can see you know what the impressions are. I mean even Madison House as an agency, you know when we put up news, which is basically like we signed a client or our client did this, you know, we can see what posts are performing better than others. Um, and then you just learn from it. You know, we found out that like the artist signing posts typically, uh, like, you know, there's three times as many people visit that post. Um, and you just got to look for the trends, uh, and see, see what's happening, where electronic kids, you know, you, you want to push the, um, you know, the other electronic acts on them. I mean, it's, 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 it's a little bit of genre stuff. And then there are some genres that kind of cross over, too. So you just got to pay attention to it. So, Claire, you have a completely different business model because your event is a private event. You, you, your, people are dying to come to your event. So the point of social engagement pre is what? Um, well, we started the event wanting to create it as a radio uh, promotion. So it was never intended originally to be a festival 
that scaled into what it was. It was driven out of us believing and having a certain aesthetic. And I think for you guys, if you're producing an event, first of all, I would simply suggest to you, you better love what you produce. Because when you do that and you follow something that you're enormously passionate about, it's a lot easier to put the work and the time and the effort into that. And for us, it was easy to do that because we were helping artists that we were trying to break records for. Artists like Jason Mraz that we had personal relationships with as promotion people to radio, but those artists at that particular time were having a hard time. So we were able to bring something, something to the table for them and interestingly enough, when we started the event, we made a very conscious decision not to build our Facebook platform. And the reason we did it was because we wanted um, access to our own information. So we drove all of the people registering into our own web pages. And now we have a database that's over 250,000 high-end music, food, and wine people and we're able to utilize that that database to market products and it's appealing to the sponsors that then work with us now facebook we use instagram we use we bought another festival and scaled it last year a public event um, called yauntville live that's uh, open to the public for the last five years i was doing mandavi's summer concert series i booked that and that was coming into a series that was falling apart and trying to figure out who was gonna buy a ticket that was 90 to $190 a ticket. And I think speaking to what these guys are saying, knowing your audience, knowing your band, knowing the genre, don't drink your own Kool-Aid when you're trying to market something through social media and don't listen to your friends because your friends love you and they wanna tell you everything, but they will not always give you the best read. And you really need to do a lot of a lot of asking questions and a lot of asking in the genre or the age group or the demo of the people you want to promote a show to. What do you care about? My particular audience is older. They're not as hip. You know, even if they're 30 years old, they're not as hip. They're, they want to see Train. They want to see OAR. They want to see, you know, the band Perry. They want to see bands like that. Um, I found out that they wanted more food, they wanted more wine, they wanted more integration. Um, so I think as your events happen, being liquid and being reactive and being, you know, scaling something that you can produce, and that's also for digital campaigns. Don't take on more than what you think you can do. I think your idea is, I do buyouts quite a bit with artists exactly for the reason you're talking about. Artists have more access to their own fan base information digitally. Especially if they have like a, you know, fan club ticketing and such a thing. You know? We do I mean, a lot of that. Yeah. We do a lot of fan club stuff. We do a lot of exclusive tickets. We do a lot of exclusive experiential things. I mean, I watch Kickstarter and a lot of these other um, platforms because I want to see what people buy. I want to see what they respond to. I want to see what they what they're interested in. And uh, to me, it doesn't matter whether I'm promoting an event for 50 people or 5,000 people. Um, I don't do events really over probably 20,000 people. So, you know, I live in a smaller world and a lot of mine is experiential, so. I don't think anybody's gonna think that 20,000 is a small event. Yeah, no, well, 20,000 in the concert world and well, in the big festival world is small. You know what though? And our events are usually under 3,000 people. Um, it's interesting though. I, f I feel like this year um, we're trending a little bit more towards the, 
the twenty to 30,000 people festivals being a little bit more uh, successful because of the experiential stuff that you're talking about. You know, for, for my world, it could be, you know, um, what Madison Oz presents, presents does, which is, you know, um, throw electric forest and there's a, you know, like a really, really crazy, intimate, bizarre, um, uh, magical forest called the Sherwood Forest that you walk through, and then they, they, there's random bars, and there's a place where you can get, you know, get a shave and a cut, and all these like um, vaudeville uh, acts, and you know, it's just this, it's experiential, just, it's just experience. like you know, and um, and they were and, totally sober when they thought of that shit. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and so, so I think that that, yeah, the, the experience. Is, is a lot of it. So that's why I think the 20,000 thing, I, I think a, I see more tw- 15 to 30,000 person festivals trending, you know, um, moving forward than, you know, the, the big mass get festivals. And I think, too, like the, the one other thing I would say that we use that a lot of people don't use the way we do is we developed corporate partnerships with a lot of big big companies, with Starwood, with Southwest, with Stella Artois, with UPS, with all these different companies, we leverage their social media platforms. We guarantee in our deals a certain amount of access to their platforms. And what that allows us to do is, as a very small company, you know, we're getting into quarters that many large companies pay them millions of dollars, and we're not having to pay for that. We're coming up with creative solutions. We're giving them something they need from our expertise, whatever that may be, for that company. And then we are collectively bartering and borrowing a lot of those assets. And that's very different than a lot of our counterparts, I think, as well. So so now we've gotten to the event. We've used our social or whatever platforms we're using to get them there. So now they're on site. Access. What are we using in technology for access? Are we doing cashless? Are we doing RFID? What are we doing to get them through the gate? And then we're going to start talking about what's happening once they're through the gate in terms of technology, um, in terms of VR, AR, experiential, which we started to touch on. So let's talk about those. Hey, I'm an agent. I booked the show on the front end. No, I booked the show on the front end, and then I'm done. I check out. No, and you don't have to answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you want to talk about Electric Forest. But but I want to hear what what we're seeing now. I think in most scenarios, if it's a festival-type thing, especially 20,000, 30,000, there's an app for each one of those festivals now. And you are given more than enough information on when and how to download the app. Signage on the way in, with your tickets, when they're delivered, the emails. They want you to know that the best way to get the information is through their app, especially the bigger ones. Oceaga did a great job with that, of getting that out. So before you ever got there, you knew that everything you would ever need was inside that app. Some aren't even doing paper pan. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not sure about this. Don't quote me on this, but I don't think Electric Force even, even does a paper pamphlet or like a uh, guide or whatever. So it's all, it's all digital? It's all, I, I'm not positive, but I know there are a couple of festivals that's done that. Which is a great move. So I think a lot of those are investing in it. In most other cases, I think a matter of getting on Twitter and following the venue on Twitter or following the act, the venue's website or the promoter's website of the show you're going to is going to be the most up-to-date information of your that day of show. If it's not a event that's built out like an Electric Forest or a Lollapalooza or an ACL or 
a Treasure Island, something that's scaled to just that night at the Fillmore. Being on the checking the Fillmore's Twitter feed that day is going to be your best updates of who's opening, if the show's running late, if there's a special guest, if there's traffic problems. That's the best technology right now that's out there, or the the acts. But the venue tends to be the best line of communication we find. And in terms of ticketing and access, are you guys are you well, I was doing? I'm just going to tell you. Let's we, talk about we that. We just because of how uh, obtuse our model is. When you come into the festival, all of our stuff, we only have a couple big concerts. Everything breaks down into all these smaller groups, which means there might be 200 tracks running in a four-day period. And that requires an enormous amount of communication because people need to know what they want. What experience am I buying? What am I going to get? If I'm going to get a VIP ticket, why am I going to pay more money? What access point? You know, Am I going to stand on some side stage with a guy who's throwing up next to me, or am I really honestly gonna be in a VIP area where there's food and there's all the other things? And how you communicate those things, I think plays a lot into RFID and a lot into those technological pieces. We, are, we had to build a ticketing platform. We had to bring in software guys, and we had to build a ticketing platform because our, our dinners, our chefs, all the things that we were doing we used Eventbrite, we used different ticketing platforms, and we got creamed because people didn't know what they were buying and they were very frustrated. And so when your some event got creamed because of Eventbrite? Totally. Really? Yeah, and it was the biggest research piece that came back to us was people going, we were frustrated at the ticketing platform, we couldn't understand what we were buying, and it didn't make sense. Now, that's for our events. No, but I just wanted to clarify, you were throwing them under the bus. That's who you wanted to blame. <laughs> no, I just wanted to make sure. I didn't throw them under I'm the bus. So My clients okay. threw them under the bus. <laughs> no, I'm just making sure. You know, I had to go figure out why I had a problem with an event. Well, and every ticketing platform is not right for every event. So Eventbrite is horrible, point. huh? I don't... I'm just kidding. I'm just, kidding. I'm just curious. In their I'm just market. churning the waters um, here. Their okay, sponsor guys. mine. I think they're great. No, I, I, <laughs> Sorry, dudes. I'm going to be honest about my business. I'm an entrepreneur, yeah. and yeah, yeah. guess what? I wanted to use them. I used them. It didn't work for my platform. Totally. And it was a lot better for me to go Let's build my own platform. <laughs> Hi, Benji. <laughs> Will you use them um, again? Will you give them another shot? Yeah, for a different style of event. I, I don't use think them for you other will. events. I don't, you don't like them. No, I use them for Mandavi, <laughs> which kidding. is a totally different event. When your contract's up, will you still use them again? I don't know. If you keep <laughs> making this painful for me, I, I might <laughs> have no choice. Are you getting a cut on the deal? Is that what's going on? I thought he was the agent. Yeah. I'm just curious. Or are you promoting Eventbrite? <laughs> I'm not. I was actually, uh, apparently, I'm anti-promoting Eventbrite. <laughs> <laughs> We're signed with Ticketmaster and Ticketfly. It raises uh, a very good question about technology. In picking your ticketing platform, which is the first entry point that your audience has with you, that's, that's how they're interacting with you. And conversion is very, very big part of the conversation. This is why Amazon Prime is so very successful, right? Oh. So this is something you want to take a closer look at and make sure that all your, your answers uh, or your questions are answered with that particular platform. And so I want to make sure that when you're that, – that piece, we're talking about access now into the live event – that you're taking a closer look and you're really asking the hard questions. What kind of marketing are they going to do? What's going to be the process? And those kinds of things. So, all right, so we've got them into the, the venue, right? Um, hopefully our Wi-Fi is working, right? That's a critical component. Yep. 
And so, so now, how do we feel about um, social at the event? Do we want people paying attention to the acts, or do we want them sharing on Facebook and tweeting? What, what, what do we want? What do our sponsors want? I mean, as a promoter, you could probably answer that. I mean, I, I know that, you know, the one thing is, is um, you know, I think that I keep on going back to the Snapchat thing just because I had a 19-year-old sister that was living with me for a year. Kind of moved up to Colorado to kind of just, you know, figure out what the the path was for her. She just moved back she, um, uh, away recently. But uh, she was on Snapchat and just, like, shredding through, you know, 40 snaps every 10 minutes. Um, and... Uh, and she looked for the filter every time. Like, what is it? You know, is there a filter at this event? And I think that people, um, brands have seen a lot of success um, at festivals. At the, if you're at the AT&T stage, you pull it over and it says Lollapalooza AT&T stage. Um, it, that's, that's a pretty effective tool um, because, you know, that thing's getting saved and sent to tons of people. There's, there seems to be a pretty interesting fight right now. I mean, I'm guessing everybody's been to an event where they see yeah. the entire show where people are doing this, and it probably annoys the shit out of you, right? Hands? Anybody? Yeah, okay, great. So a lot of bands now, there's new software where we can block that, and the artist or the venue have the ability to block that from happening. On the other side, as a promoter who does acts in many markets, I want people out there posting on their Facebook page and Twitter feed that they're at the show and giving me free publicity for every act I work with. So when we play the next market, they know that the cool taste feeder and the, that they, they see on their Facebook feed goes. I'm hoping that two CDs down that they go and buy a ticket. So I want that marketing. So I don't want to turn that away. I also hate this, though. I absolutely hate seeing everybody watching the show through this. So there's some mix. I almost want to see bands doing the thing where they come out and say, these are the two songs that are going to be awesome with production. Pick your phone up right now. And I saw Aziz do a bit of this, where he's like, this is the moment. You guys take your pictures and record this bit. The rest of it, put the fucking phones down and watch my goddamn show. I'm right here. And I'd like to see more bands. I know some of them are starting to do it, but I'd like to see more bands do that so you don't see 25 people's screens in front of you and you can engage it, but I still don't want to lose the marketing of it either. I mean, that print, I saw when Prince did that run. Um, God bless his yeah, soul. I'm from, I'm from Minneapolis, and, and I grew up with a single mother and Prince and, and all that stuff. So, um, But when, when uh, I saw those, he, he did four shows at the Ogden in Denver, uh, two a night. Um, and I went to two or three of them with Don Strasberg from AEG and my wife, Darcy, who's also from Minneapolis. Um, but uh, the no cell phone thing, you know, I thought I was, was, was going to die, you know, and it ended up being just like, I, you walk away from it with a completely different aspect on like, you know, well, I was just part of something crazy that no one... You're not allowed to have it out. You, you could not have a cell phone out at all, and if you did, you immediately got pulled out and then kicked out of the venue. So you can do that when you're Prince, but what about your artists? I mean, you can do it when you're bass nectar. What so about your small artists? It's funny that you're asking about that because we were just approached by um, an individual who's starting a company right now that really is trying to go after developing artists and um, uh, take the... 
you know, some sort of technology and, and encourage people not to, you know, use cell phones um, at, at venues. I don't think it's applicable for my clients because I think people need to see what's going on at their shows. Um, and I don't necessarily think there's like a, we're, we're plagued, you know, by like, you know, cell phones too bad. I think it's a problem, but I think there's a lot of people that are just into shows. Um, uh, Nick, Nick Terzo, you're sitting in the back. What was the name of that company? Shit. Okay, I can't remember. But, but there's a new company that um that that that's their that's their jam, and and I, I they keep on hitting me up about um uh, wanting me to kind of push it towards my clients, and and I just don't. Um, the, the, most of the managers have just been like, uh, we're not gonna have, you know be a, an, an act that blankets um, our uh, our policy or, or you know and just says you know we can't you, can, you can't have cell phones. It's not. So. That's it. Yonder. 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 Do you work for Yonder? No, I don't. Okay, I'm just wondering, because there's a guy from Yonder that's emailing me like three times a week. <laughs> and then he, he went around either. me and emailed my partners, too, and like tattletale on whoa, me. Whoa, whoa. And agents love when you go around them. Yeah. <laughs> Also, emergencies, you know, like, I mean, you, what in Paris with, you know, the Eagles, I mean, it's like, there's some things that like, you know, you just gotta. I couldn't agree more. Yes, exactly. And I'm totally fucking Prince. That's me. Well, he's no longer with us, by the way. <laughs> but I also think, Benji, you can speak to this because you're in the back of the room. You've been to our events. We don't take cell phones away from people, but we speak to them before the show. And we basically go, you guys are here for an experience. And it's going to be the best show. And, and most of the artists that come into our event prepare sets that they've never done anywhere else. So they're going to see something they've never seen. And we tell them, guys, we've got video crews here, we're recording. Everything you want will be available to you in better format than you'll ever get it yourself. Give us your attention for a little bit of time. And, and I have to say that it's helped enormously in the way that people address, don't you think, Benji? That's about how you manage because your events are so Instagram worthy and you're, they're so cool, but at the same time, after you say that, what you do is you take one photo and, and yeah. you put your phone away. Which is great. And we have Instagram contests and stuff, but I'm with you. I wouldn't surrender my phone. I mean, I don't want to go to a show and surrender my phone, but Unless you're saying I also online. want the artists to be paid attention to and they want that connection. So what do your corporate sponsors say about that? Do they have any input on that? Does that We don't factor give them in? a choice. They have no choice. Yeah, we tell them and this is where we're And they don't care about those running. eyeballs that are out in digital world. I'm sure they do, but you know, we just tell them, look guys, if you if you want that, that's not what we do. We do something different and you you like it or you don't. I mean, it's not there's lots of options. Question about what Claire spoke about of creating your own content that is superior quality to what anyone would record and making that available and shareable. And 
have there I've heard of this in a couple other places, but has there been any particularly successful, more widespread use of that? And does that seem like a good path forward to get people more engaged in the live event and putting away their phones and Well, we have a serious broadcast that runs um, after every event on the pulse. And they run it, it'll run this New Year's Eve. It's a three hour concert special with interviews and it's proprietary and you know, it repeats, I think, four or five times over the weekend, and then they repeat it, and it's on demand. And, and and I've gotten more people that come back to me that say, I listen to it, and it brings back every memory of everything I saw. And then we have a lot of people who are not able to come to our event because it's smaller, and it enables them to have a piece of participation in that. But the clearances are never easy, and I can't yeah. lie to you about that. Right. What about things that are more shareable, like um, not a full concert video, but like photographs of great moments, clips of the performance, things that. things that people would want to post on Facebook, yeah. Instagram, and share? Like Bass Nectar, for instance, we have, you know, it's called the family photo. Um, everyone does it now, and they stole it from them. But uh, uh, no, I'm sure people have been doing it forever. But basically, you know, he, his fans are called Bass Heads. And there's, you know, I mean, uh, Madison Square Garden sold out, and it's bass nectar with his long hair going like this, you know, and looking like, you know, up at the stage in the crowd with 10,000 or 14,000 people behind him. Um, that's one of those shots where it's just, it's a, you know, everyone goes and, goes and tags themselves. You were the first? The photo. Uh, no, we, I mean, but but the family photo thing, that's you know, that's what he, call, he calls it. Um, and, and so everyone tags himself in the picture, and then now it's become a thing where, like, people, he does it every show, everyone wants to go and tag themselves in, you know, whatever social media platform there is and find themselves in the picture and all that kind of stuff. So that's an appropriate usage of it, I think. Yes. Don't talk very loud. Um, so I've managed artists for 12 years and came from the live event world. I came in on this a little late, but um, we built this LED wearable. Um, and a lot of what, um, a lot, we, we've gotten a lot of questions about, well, why don't you just bring it in the phone? Why don't you, do, why don't you just put the LED in the phone? Everybody's walking into the venue. Um, we have lots of answers to that. Uh, one is that it's not bright enough. Two, you know, people's batteries are going to die. Three, the artist doesn't want people to hold up their phone the entire time. So one of the ways that we've gotten around this, and I'm curious what you guys think of this, is that people text to activate their wearable, so they have their phone. We don't want to change consumer behavior, but they still get to have this experience that they're part of the audience and part of this euphoric audience experience, but then we can send them messages afterwards, including uh, sending them photos from the event that diminishes how often they feel like they need to take a picture of the event. And part of that offering that you're allowed to serve up then is um, a picture that perhaps specifically captures the light on the wearable that has the sponsor branding on the wristband itself, and then the sponsor to whoever asked the sponsor question um, actually gets that social amplification as well. So you're getting multiple touch points for all the parties involved and not pissing off the artist. <laughs> you got a winner here, I think. <laughs> 
Well, it's a commercial for sure. Was there a question? Yeah, yeah, I just could. The question is, is, is... Can you brand your shit in our, in our panel? Was that the question? <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, apparently you can. Well, no. The question is, is do you... Does that serve as an alternative for you? I mean, it sounds flawless to me. I don't know. I okay. Mean, because you're able to serve up your phone. Fo- you stop the fans. As you were saying, it's so frustrating because the, the fans are holding up their, their phones the entire time. So would you be open to... It's like a cooler version of the glow stick, essentially, say, right? Like it's digital. It's got some LEDs in it. It's really It's got the sponsorship tied to it, right? But it's a serve-up message after the event that allows them to supplement the pictures that they were otherwise taking with the phone, pissing you off during the show, right? How much does each unit cost? Three seventy-five. Three hundred and seventy-five or three dollars? Yeah, three hundred seventy-five bucks each. So three dollars and seventy-five cents for each one. Yeah. Something you got to think about. You know, it's just it's, a, it's like ticketing fees. You know, we try to keep them down as much as possible. With a lot of the larger ticketing companies, you know, it's really, really tough. That's why, you know, um, the string cheese incident sued Ticketmaster at one point, you know, to um, guarantee themselves, you know, 8 to 10% of the capacity of the venue um, to sell to directly to their fans through their, their own fan club, um, you know, minus the crazy fees, but some fees. Um, and, you know, you've got facility fees as well that, that, that might get tacked onto it. You've got historical fees in older venues. So it's one of those things you just got to look at the finances and figure out, you know, uh, if all that stuff adds up and it makes sense. Um, but also, if you have a sponsor, you know, maybe the sponsor pays for, you know. Yeah, who's one. paying for this? And then in order to get it, am I giving you my... Email address? Is that how it works? Yeah, you, oh. you text to activate or you Facebook you message to activate. So I saw Coldplay do it at Glastonbury. Coldplay did it at Glastonbury. Yeah, they did it on their That's tour, where it gets really expensive, is that it's just a production element. Mm-hmm. But my, my point was not so much in saying what we do. It's saying in looking at all the ways to offset what is annoying is people holding up their phone, people taking the pictures. How do you give the sponsor right. more for their value? Yeah. Right. If you can sell it to the act, though, like every, every promoter is going to be forced to do it anyway. So right. if you can convince but, Jake and his band that, to do it, well, like, then everybody's going to have to do it. Just the 375 is... Significant jump, you know. I mean, if you're looking at like you know developing acts or even middle developing acts, there's like eight, you know, tickets are 17 advance, 20 day of show. All of a sudden, that 23 number though. Yeah, it's like the downloads. Four like number. The it's two dollars like, oh. or the three dollars for the downloads, where the industry pushed back so hard they got rid of them. Yep, totally. You know, it's just one of those things where fans were buying. It's a barrier I don't know, to entry. Yeah, if you got this thing where you had to buy the download, it wasn't mandatory anymore for the new album. So first, it was a buck. Yep. Then it was three bucks. Then it became five bucks for the double album. And the problem is you don't go to the show by yourself. You go with your girlfriend or your wife or four people, and you only download the album once. Yep. And then, so you're paying for the album actually four times, downloading it once, and only 30% of the people that have the download code actually download it. So it's like if you sell 1,500 tickets, you're actually only getting 200 people downloading the whole thing, give or take. And it just became this amazing waste, but it skewed the price of the ticket out, which sounds like that could be similar to that, where it's not everybody's going to want to wear it to begin with. So let's talk about some of the other technologies. And, and I dig it, though. I dig it. it. No, it's cool. She's cool. Yeah, she's cool. Um, she's cool. We're going <laughs> to get to your question. Uh, AR, VR, streaming, what do we think about that? I know there are three different well, things, but what do you think about streaming? What do you think about well, AR? I just thought, one thing I thought about was the fact that I'm a big... 
Oh, what was that? You want I me? said, we'll get to the questions. Oh, oh I thought you said, just that. Right, don't talk. There's a question. I'm a big illegal movie torrenter. So I, I download a lot of illegal movies you guys um, that, I, that, right? that I shouldn't be downloading. And on that, you know, you can every day you can see like the top 100 downloads and, and it's full of fish concerts, string cheese concerts, you know, that popped up that week, you know. And I, uh, I think that you might see less people with cell phones and then we're going back to the cell phone thing real quick, but might see less people with cell phones because all of these artists are doing these live feeds right now and recordings that you can get afterwards. Um, so I think that that you know I, that helps things out a little bit. As far as streaming, I think it's awesome. It just depends on the artist, and there's so many artists that have a tough time. For instance, Bass Nectar is one of my artists. A lot of my DJs. You have to be very careful about what you play, um, you know. And uh, and 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 people are going to be looking at like you know if it's not your music, you know, it's a, it's a gray area, and it's something that everyone struggles with. But for some so, bands, it's awesome. So that's what I'm trying to get at for live events. Should they be looking at streaming their events too? Is that helpful? Is it too expensive? Well, some of them What's are taking massive positions. You know, Universal right now is not allowing anybody streaming anything. Um, and they're being very, very, very tight about the way that that's happening. Um, I think the, the licensing stuff is always the, the, the problem. It's, you know, you have... Problems. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> Look, Larry. <laughs> you got some of the coolest shit on those cards. You do. Those yeah, are so awesome. He um, says we're doing really well. I think, as far as VR is concerned, I've gotten to spend some time with a lot of very cool VR companies because um, we partner with Hololens with Microsoft on one of our devices, and so we've had to learn about a lot of different VR concepts. Now, for my audiences, they're older again. So for them, um, some of those technologies are interesting. I don't know about you guys, but I, I have an 18-year-old son who's a tech head, who's a gamer, and he is, you know, spends a lot of his life on Twitch, and he streams, and he makes money streaming, and, you know, we had a conversation the other day about VR and about where all this stuff was going, and he said something interesting to me. He goes, Mom, you have to understand, you have adapted to technology. You remember when you didn't have this. You remember when you didn't know how to use your computer. You remember all that stuff. This will always be work for you, but it will also be addictive for you on a level that for us it's not because to me and my friends, technology is integrated into our lives and we don't even think about it as much as you guys think we think about it because you're constantly serving your own addiction to this so it's i just think it's we gotta kick it with this kid because he is smart <laughs> that's that smart. is super super well i think it's i i think it's gonna is he looking for a job that's yes. awesome yeah well he's doing an internship with valve right now because i think oh, that wow. you know and and one of the things that we talked about is a sociological shift that's going to happen in live concerts and in entertainment and in the way that we market. For me, my experiences involve food and wine and chefs and travel. And so there's a lot of VR application to what we do. And we're going to try to, 
initiate that um, with a couple sponsors that we've gone to to help us broker that content and also to help us test drive whether people want to use that in our in our world because we're I think our people will want to use that, but I don't know that a younger, like he's like, mom, I'm a gamer. I'm not going to play games on VR. He's like, that's not the experience I want. I'm not interested in falling off of a building. You know, I mean, he's like, he's like, you just, you know, it's like going to a, a thing and seeing a 3D roller coaster. He goes, I, v, you know, VR, not so interesting. AR, I like, I, I like, I can reach into it, but he's like, you know, we just so everyone knows, VR, virtual reality versus AR, augmented, uh, augmented reality, reality and, and, like and the, the Pokemon game. Yeah, yes. that and I play a lot. Augmented reality, I think, is really the, where the future is more than VR. But that's well, that's what he way. says. I he, trust he him more than me. Tim Cook said so. something about that from Apple yesterday. So, so he, let's have one more uh, input on that because I know there's a lot of people. We want to get to the questions, but I'm really trying to stay focused on the technology at the festival, and the question about VR and AR at festivals and of live events and also streaming. Well, I mean, events. I think the streaming stuff comes from wh what the act is willing to do and what the label's willing to do in management because they own that stuff. So a lot of that stuff is the pre-negotiated, these are the terms of the deals. And in the festivals, it's really standard with the festival offer. This is what we're doing. Yeah. So like the first weekend of Coachella streams. If you're playing Coachella, you've agreed to let them stream you and you've given up those rights and you have to to play Coachella. There's a lot of festivals. It's the standard language now. We are going to do this. Bonnaroo. It happens. It's part of it. And it's great exposure. If you're not willing to do it, you can't play the event. And that's, it's just become the reality of the event. But I think it's great because I think everyone that doesn't go to those weekends that are stuck at their desk are, are, are have it on in the background and they're paying attention to who's playing. It's great. Here's a funny one. Uh, uh, New Year's Eve, Big Gigantic. The band was playing at uh, um, Decadence. Their dressing room, big old dressing room, their headline at Decadence, they, on a huge screen in their dressing room, are watching the, st the stream of fish while you know they're about to go on and headline. And they paid $30 or whatever it was. It's just that's like kind of meta and weird, but uh, it's, I don't know. It's cool because there was so a time change and they could take advantage yeah, of it. Yeah, that was awesome. So I want to I want to give the uh, audience an opportunity because there's a lot of questions out here. Just in one or two sentences, post event technology, what's most useful to you, to your sponsors, analytics? How do you keep that engagement? My guys want a lot of analytics and they want hard data. They want to know that there was a return on the investment, that it it as the, in the hotel business it's head and beds, right. um, in the alcohol business I forget what the the phrase is, but. We have to do a lot of wrap-ups for our partners, and we do a wrap-up for all of our artists as well. We give them impressions. We give them, we give them a lot of data, and I think for us, that's how we, you know, we just do it different. So. Very interesting point. Recaps for the artists too. Yeah, we do okay, that. that's an interesting point. Uh, quickly, quickly, so we can get to the questions. I'm still stuck on head and beds. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, an actual term. It yes. Is. Fuck oh, wow. yeah. 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 
Posted. Doesn't mean what I think it means, does it? No. no, no. Put in an All right, do we want to go to the I, I, I just like the fact, <laughs> I, I like pulling geographical um, audits for my artists who, you know, maybe aren't touring all the time to figure out where people are coming from. It's pretty mm -hmm. simple and standard, but uh, it really helps. You just have to figure out I mean, what, what market you're going to play next time? Yeah, like, for instance, are? Bass Nectar, you know, sold out 18,000 people on New Year's Eve in Birmingham, Alabama. How many of those people were actually from Birmingham, you know? Right. Okay, let's start with questions. Uh, We've got a lot. And then you next. What technology does not exist? My question is, what problems do you have that you wish there was a solution for that you haven't seen yet? Because you know, a lot of people trying to hit you with stuff that, you know, shove solutions at you for problems maybe you don't have. What problems do you have that aren't being addressed? Great question. We can't make people take the technology that we've offered to them. So our biggest problem is communicating information. I was backstage at a show a couple days ago where everyone was hitting me what times they are is gone. This is shit that's on the website. You know, it's just like, what time do doors open? Like, little things. The technology is so easily there, but we can't make people download what we've given you for free that we've invested a ton of money in. Whether it's a festival in their app, whether it's our website, whether it's our Twitter feed, we can't make you do that. And that's the easiest thing for them. It's not really us trying to sell them as much as it is. We're trying to make it the easy experience for you because we want it to be not like we're hurting you in and out of a Beastie Boys concert. We want it to be, if you're coming to a Neil Diamond concert, how gently they treat the artists at those arenas, how well they glide them in, and how nice and polite they are. We want all of the information so easily delivered that we can easily guide you to your seat and make it such an easy day to get your merchandise and to have that amazing event where you don't feel like we're pushing you or hurting you. We want the fan to feel embraced, and we want to give you every piece of information to make that easier on you as possible. And so that's, that's our... Seamless experience. touch points. Yeah. Okay. What was I agree with that because we concierge a lot of our people that come in, and that means that we want to give them that experience. So, again, we find ourselves having to build um, platforms or build programs that are not, you know, or adapt ones that really are not made for the music business. And, you know, that's we want the experience to be incredible. Right, because we so, want you to come back. We don't want to be like, it was a pain in the ass. You go to a football game, getting in and out's a nightmare. Yeah. We don't want that experience. We want you to feel that you want to be there. So coordination, seamlessness, trans, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And and I th would also add having adequate Wi-Fi where everything works all the way through, all those touch points and the technology works throughout. It's very, very critical. Yes, Mr. Sapper. What, in today's world, what's the role of cause marketing in your events? Does that drive ticket sales? Is there a tie? What role does cause marketing have in your events, and is there a tie-in pre, during, and after the event to any of those partners that you may take on in terms of value to, to your brands and also value to driving uh, ticket sales or customers to your events? Huge for us. Um, we've had an eight-year partnership with City of Hope. We've had a long partnership with Kids Kids, uh, Kid Craddock's Kids Charity. We also have benefited, um, we are partners with one of the bigger solar energy companies in the United States that makes portable solar generators, DC Solar. So that enables us to stage quiet concerts in locations that traditionally did not have those power choices. And yeah, we get people that, first of all, we know that we've driven people to donate enormous amounts of money to these causes. And secondarily, um, we take a lot of input from them about what they want. And, you know, I think 
the kids that I see around my son's friends, they all are growing up wanting to, to make some differences. And I, I think that's something we try to amplify every time we do an event. Question here. Do sponsors want data? Well, there's laws about some of what we can and can't give them. So yeah. that becomes a thing because of some of the privacy things. And they're heavier in Canada than they are in America now. But there are definitely, there's some serious rules. And violating those rules is a prison sentence now. Mm -hmm. And even here, but particularly in Canada, you go away for that. There's no warning anymore. It's fines and it's time. So you have to figure out exactly what the rules are and what you can give them. And what, regardless of what they want, you can't step over those rules anymore. It's not a gray area anymore. Okay. Well, they all have very, very tough data laws within their own banks. So, you know, each company has its own opt-in laws, its own situations. Um, we have a, you know, we consult attorneys now that basically do exactly what you're talking about. Tell us what we can and can't do. We do a lot of opt-in. Yeah, but we also have a contest. Yes. We have a contest segment, and our sweeps rules specify that by entering the sweeps, you've opted in to a certain amount of communication, and then once you, each sponsor has to additionally ask for the opt-in. So there's a tremendous amount of that privacy stuff that comes into it. The reason I was asking is I actually work for a mobile app developer that does apps for festivals, and we're trying to, to barter, negotiate, work with the festivals to get the sponsors the data they need from using the mo mobile beacons, people stopping by their booth, trying their product, uh -huh. that sort of thing. And, and that's why I was curious, because we're finding a lot of festivals that just don't give the data at all. I mean, someone's paying $20,000 for a stage, their name on a stage, and that's it. Get some basic data. It's all about laws, there, but really. So it's I mean, it's content know. and laws. I mean, so much of it is creative, um, intellectual property, mm -hmm. and it just doesn't. It's not like you're just giving somebody a physical sample, you know. And we have different laws in the alcohol because we have 125 winery partners, mm -hmm. and we have a beer partner, and we have spirit partners. We have different legal laws in every state that we have to be compliant. Interesting. In we have literally an alcohol attorney who tells uh, us exactly what we can and cannot do, <laughs> promoting our events with alcohol involved in all those states legally. Wow. And Great. now that we're working with the marijuana companies, it's getting even harder. Because really? there's, there's kid rules that are worse right. than the cigarette companies have. Right. And on top of that, before we knew the rules, we still didn't give you the data because we, we were dicks about it. And I think all the companies were. <laughs> but now we're, we can hide behind the laws. Right. But it, we never wanted to share the data. And none of us did. Mm -hmm. It's like we hide behind that thing. Um, question. And I think there's one over here and one here, right? Okay. I have a question. Is about um, virtual quick. reality. Mm -hmm. um, do you think in the near future virtual reality will become like live event concerts that users or fans are going to pay? And if so, will that be the unsold tickets? Like someone who is in Israel, is in and 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 he's not in U.S. to see Coldplay live. Do you think that's going to happen? That they're going to pay for virtual reality concerts? You like the pay-per-view experience? Is that yeah. kind of what you're thinking? I mean, you're already seeing yeah. it, but the whole vibe of live experience is being there, and it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's also not subscription-supported right now. It, it, you know, they haven't really figured out the business yeah, model. It's pretty event. Yeah. Yeah. event. I've seen so. tests of it and of our artists, but other than that, you know. No, it's really more. Red Bull really has there, the models. For as soon as somebody figures out how to monetize it correctly, you'll see more of it. 
but it's still about getting people in the room and having the energy of being there. Right. Is the experience that they had at the first Dead shows and the acid experiences that we're still replicating today all across the country with live shows, which is why there's more shows than there's ever been before and all over the world, not just in America. It, the business is blooming. It's the one part of the music industry that is growing still. Okay, we've got time for one more you question. make money touring. Did you want to ask? Okay, yeah, you do. Right here? Yeah. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Prachi, uh, and something that we didn't talk about uh, until now was uh, the importance of sound and audio in live uh, events. So in terms of technology revolution and uh, upcoming technologies, what do you invest in uh, as organizers um, in terms of tech care and the budget that you allocate into it? Because there's this entire feedback problem, and you know, you know each individual artist have their own care. You have your sound engineers, so how do you sort of walk around it. It's an arms race. No, it, it you know, just it real is, quick, I, you know, it question. just depends on the artist, but like, you know, the electronic world for a little while, it was who's got the bigger, you know, the, the higher mill resolution LED walls and subs or whatever, and that's kind of my world. But, bigger, you know, better, brighter? Yeah, bigger, well, no, better, it's a, brighter. it's a real art and science. No, it's an art. It's yeah, an art. Yeah, don't get, I'm not trying I mean, to minimize I, the fact that like sound engineers are talented. It's really, just, really important no, 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 to but, bleed and, and yeah. the sound loudness. The technology is better and better and better. And yep. it's smaller and smaller and smaller, yeah. just like with our phones. Um, but that's a completely specialized area of technology within the live event space. I also think if you, you know, as you grow your events or as you look at them, people that supply great sound systems get artists back. Yeah. It's yes. a huge part. We spend an enormous amount of money on sound at our events. Part of it's because I was a sound engineer at one point, but the other part is because it's definitely helps our event convince artists to come back. They get treated well, they get what they want, and the crews know how to take care of them, and their experience is good. And DB limits. Some, some, yeah. yeah, they can figure that out. You know? Yeah, yeah and most when you're dealing with artists, a lot of them bring their own sound engineers yep. as well. Mm -hmm. But you want to make sure that you're most meeting their writers yeah. and all of that kind of thing, and it's a really important part. Unfortunately, we at the end of this this great panel. I want to thank my panelists here, and I want to thank all of you for your amazing questions. Thank Have you. a great summit. <laughs> <laughs>